just like an elf. She really don't do that. And she goes, and we're not going to come pick her up. And then said, I was going to ask me for her. I've got her Greyhound bus looking for her right here. Right. And she calls Santa Cruz and Alderman. And she came from your, your club. <sighs> yeah, I have this opportunity to stand here and hopefully um, have some time to myself talking without being interrupted. I don't think I'm really breaking any rules. I uh, got a large coffee. I already had a large coffee. Notably, <clears throat> it seems my chest like broke out with a rash, and uh, I just had a large coffee for like one of the first times in... I don't remember how long, but it reminds me because I used to get this rash on my chest all the time. And, you know, I used, you know, I used to drink coffee all the time. And I'm like, wow. Like, well, I mean, my, I have this, uh, I think it's eczema. I get it around the edge of my scalp, right on my hairline mostly. I get a lot of dry skin and some uh, on my scalp. Otherwise, I get these little divots of dead scalp or something. But then on my chest, and that also happens on the right side of my face near my nose in this climate especially but then i also get it in my chest like right in the middle of my chest hair patch which isn't much hair but and uh it's just this i always thought it was because of the glue that i sprayed on my chest a long time ago during a performance but um even if it is it's it's kind of strange that it seemed to activate like when i drank this large coffee and um you know obviously coffee like does something to my blood pressure for sure and makes me sweat if I drink too much of it and uh this is the first time I've had like a large hot coffee and shit I can't remember the last time I got one anyway but besides that I mean I was really happy to have coffee today and nothing really notable happened in McDonald's except I guess the most notable thing is I learned the name of this one songwriter whose song I really like. I feel like saying this thing about it, but I don't really want to say what I want to say because it's kind of superficial. I pictured it. I just thought he looked different. You know? And I guess I'm kind of fucking superficial like that sometimes. I don't know what that says about my orientation or if it's just my like show business instincts. And uh, what I like fantasize about, or what I just imagine, or whatever it is. So I guess I'll leave it at that. But I did like learn the name of a really good songwriter, and uh, I got it through the efforts I had proceeded with, which is to contact contact my old acquaintances. Oh, and I found out something about Instagram, which is kind of embarrassing that I can see direct messages on the HTML app only when. <laughs> People actually send me messages. So I'm not notified. And But at the same time, I can't go back to see my old messages unless I have a new message. Because I can't see my messages unless I get sent one. So, I mean, obviously that made confusion for me. I mean, obviously to me. It's like, I'm like, I can't see my messages. How do I know if I got one? And it seems like in a different case, I got a message... And it was like I got it three months too late. 
But maybe on the other hand, maybe I saw that one and it just dipped. And then I didn't see it again until I got another message. I don't really use Instagram very much. And I definitely don't try to use the direct messages. They're just too fucking obnoxious. When do you slide into DMs? I don't. I'd rather have public communication. But I guess you can send links that way. Is that right? Yeah, yeah I guess you can. Oh, so it also makes me think that one of my ex uh, flings like actually didn't want to get back to me. Unless she, uh, I don't know, hasn't been on since then or something, but I don't know. I was like, why didn't she get back to me? Because she's like a pretty uh, responsible woman in the sense that she responds to things. And I mean, she's also like responsible, but in her life, I think, but she uh, didn't get back to me. But I remember like years ago, like she wanted to stay in touch, I think, and I didn't want to stay in touch with her back then. But, so I thought she'd respond to me this time. Oh, well, so kind of learned, that's what I learned today, just by being online on Instagram. Oh, and then I learned I was following a fake fan account of this one guy that I thought maybe it was his real thing, which like, it's pretty easy for me to fall for that. I've done that before. I'm like, oh shit, I thought I was following the real person, following some fan account. This one guy's so cool. He's not on Instagram. Luckily, if I ever need to get a hold of him, I know where he hangs out. And, uh, the thing is, is I hate to say this, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. There's this guy now, and, um, I'm going to try to stay in touch with him kind of because I want to get a hold of the other guy. Yet, as I think about the guy that I know, kind of, I'm like, wait, I know that guy. He's pretty cool. He's a cool guy. He is. And so I started thinking about casting him in a movie or writing for him, basically typing. And, uh. I'm kind of a calculating person, but I don't think of, like, I don't want to think that I'm using the guy, but I realize that I'm like, there's a few people that I want him to be able to uh, call upon if I need, not need, but if I desire to achieve connectivity, and he'd be, like, the perfect front man, because, I mean, not to be superficial again, but he is, he's a good-looking guy, and uh, he has a good manner about him, too, so... I would consider him, I would classify him unwittingly as an intern, potential intern, until further notice. But I also would cast him, in my mind, as potential cast. And even if he doesn't take the role, I'll be using him in my mind as like the guy I'm going to type for. And then, that made me think of these other guys I used to want to type for, and why I didn't want to do that. Like, why did it change? Well, maybe because I'm lazy, but also those guys, one of them in particular, it seems like he already has everything going on in a way. He'd probably respond to my typing and stuff, but he does have kind of some stuff going on, so he doesn't really need, like, a booster. But he might, you know, come into something I was doing. And then the other guy that I wanted to be in that scene, like, he, he probably would. So I might write for those guys. I just never, like, I started thinking about those guys because, you know, they had to say, like, writers often write with actors in mind. Well, for me, it's just, like, as soon as I can picture some actors doing the job, I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'll just, those guys. And so it's like the dialogue or the, the scene just comes together because that's how I just imagine 
work. I just kind of, I'm like, okay, if I can do this, let's, that's what we do. And I just, I hadn't typed the script for those guys, mainly because that whole movie, I just, I didn't shelf it, but I stopped doing it because of some threats to my sobriety at one point, which I might elaborate upon. Uh, I'll briefly say that I met this guy who could have been a producer, but he wanted to use illegal means to produce. And while otherwise I thought he would have been a really capable guy to help me get all this stuff done, and like, you know, I just, I didn't want to do the illegality thing. And uh, also briefly, recently, I always think it's because I'm talking about it in my thing when I started saying I think that Netflix is laundering money and stuff for basically like Holocaust reparations frauds. Uh, I started, uh, these guys would show up where I was and they started saying stuff. Like one of them said, I think I heard it twice. Like, oh yeah, we, we used to produce low budget movies that we'd launder our drug money through. And they literally said that. I mean, they said cocaine, we'd, we'd launder our money through low budget films. They were cocaine dealers. And I was like, I can't even believe I'm hearing this is what I was thinking to myself. And I'm like. What kind of fucking cocaine dealer is going to be that? He said he used to do that. And then he said, and some of my friends or family still does that. And I couldn't help but think it was an advertisement to me specifically, but it might have been an advertisement to, like, anybody who's willing to take up that little enterprise, but fuck, money laundering with cocaine dealers? Like, why the fuck would I want to do that? I mean, I guess, I guess if I was really, really, like, offline and, like, super, 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 like, into secrecy, like, maybe I'd take that risk, but that's, like, some prison time risk, you know, that's, like, a lot of fucking, th unless I'm just sitting there, and, like, I'm pretending like I didn't hear that, but then I thought to myself, wait a minute, I heard that, so I'm complicit just by hearing that, so I'm like, what kind of fucking coke dealer is that ribald, if that's a word, and, I mean, not that I necessarily thought there was cops or something, but it was more like, that's fucking ridiculous, dude. If your mouth is that fucking big, you're just going to come into a fucking AA meeting and say that shit? I mean, but the other thing was about that place, it felt like the whole room was coke dealers. And I'm not even kidding. Like, there were so many times. There, I mean, they'd have these people up on stage. This other guy was talking about running a full-fledged fucking coke bar at this place. And he's like, I did that for years in sobriety. And I'm like, dude, I don't want what you have, man. I don't want to be a coke dealer. Like, I don't want to be a coke dealer. I mean, I guess, like, as I grew up, I never really was that into coke, and so marijuana was a different thing. I mean, honestly, I'll be honest, because this is true. Like, if I saw somebody up on stage, like, I was a full-fledged marijuana dealer for years in sobriety, and I was moving, like, lots of weight, and the guy was really cool and down-to-earth, and I thought he was trustworthy, I might not have fucking judged him so hard. And, I mean, maybe there's some element of racism or some kind of, I just don't like the cocaine trip. And uh, it's probably just wrong of me because, like, I never, you know, maybe because I'm not South American, like, I don't have that kinship. It probably is that, honestly, because I grew up in California and it's just like everybody I knew smoked weed and, like, cocaine was not really the drug of choice, like, in the community. And I'm, there probably is a lot of cocaine here, but, and I'm, in fact, I know there is probably. And then there's heroin that comes, I think, through the fucking yacht harbor, really, but. Uh, and there's like a long history of that, which is really interesting in a way, especially as it relates to the justice system. I mean, there's a formative case in the history of this county that I feel is like almost like a precedent for like what is really going on here. 
in a way, but without going into all that, which is almost like a different movie. That could be a really good movie, by the way. Actually, that could be a great movie. I just realized, like, the the whole, like, suspense and stuff around, like, how it could be shown and seen. And then even presented as two hypotheses regarding what happened in this one case. For there was uh, one murder, and there was two suspects. And they both said the other one did it. But the breakdown, too, of who was who, it's also, like, very interesting about this. In this town, it's also... It shows, like, the whole town, like, in one case. And then the outcome just shows, like, this, like, fucking, you know. Um, something about happy endings, too. It's, like, I think beyond happy endings, like, any crime drama or even cop drama that's on TV or most movies, like, it's almost always the bad guys get killed or the bad guys get thrown in prison, right? win and even like the godfather or what's the other one um what's the other one with al pacino i was thinking of serpicio no no um carlito's way or not that one but yeah say hello to my little friend what is that one scarface yeah that guy he dies at the end right so even the drug lord who's like all bossy and some of these kids of course pick up this whole gangster culture the the bad guy always the gangster always dies except for i guess in godfather yeah then you have uh, michael in episode three and he becomes like established probably through philanthropies so i guess in that case the mobster is actually successful it's almost like giuliani yeah it is it's like giuliani it's exactly like Giuliani. I mean, you know, watching Giuliani, by the way, and there was one interview about four or five years ago where he was really, what was it, kind of like sublime about his description of the way the world really is. That would all be good for, like, finding some good fictional... I mean, I'm, I'm not saying he's a masterful Machiavellian, but at the same time, his rhetoric is pretty... You know, what do you call it besides sublime? It says a lot by not saying stuff. Yeah, I don't want to go on about this right now, but the whole anti-white thing, the anti-whitism and the whole anti-where that maybe Gladio is framing white supremacists, because all of the, or white people and saying they're white supremacists, it's like the Jewish-Italian mob in New York. I think the more that, like, white law enforcers and stuff, like, really get their fucking ball hair and get fucking cognizant of who the fuck is actually running this fucking federal regime. And, like, how bad they're fucking even white guys, like, really bad. Sending you off into the desert to die, if that's real. Snipers, etc. And mercenaries. The more, uh, the point being, the more they defame white people and suggest that white supremacy is, like, a thing. The more they attack you at your edges and whatnot. Because 
if you join together and without even pledging white supremacy, just as strong white men, like it's a, it's an affront to the Italian Jewish mafia that runs New York and they run all money. So yeah, I thought, you know, Epstein getting arrested is maybe a dent in the whole thing. Maybe it could also be a psyop. Epstein knows Ehud Barak and that is bringing more perspective to who is Ehud Barak, but Ehud Barak is a 9-11 suspect. At the same time, the thing that went against Epstein and Ehud Barak came after the, whatever, the primaries of Israel. So uh, you can see it all as Bibi Netanyahu going against Ehud Barak. And even if Ehud Barak was Bibi's commander in Sairit Makal, I think, uh, it seems like there's either a show where they're going against him or it's all part of some, you never know. I mean, it could be all part of a huge psyop, too. I don't think, I mean, they haven't arrested Ehud Barak yet for getting a blowjob. But it's almost like all defamation against him to get, maybe there's just different factions against BB. BB probably has more bloodlust anyway, and maybe Ehud Barak doesn't. So it's probably all like Kudnik, and maybe Epstein was just used as like a, a fall guy, or he might even walk out the back door of the fucking prison. You know, actually, all they have to do is say he had a suicide, and then they take him out in the coffin. I mean, when you're talking about billions of dollars in a psyop anyway, like, you know. Then he'll wind up on a new pedo island, probably down in fucking Argentina. He won't even have to get plastic surgery. Meanwhile, no one's after Ghislaine Maxwell. She's, like, not even been surfaced. And she's the madam of the whole enterprise, and, and she's, like, daughter of Mossad. Or triple agent, whatever, whatever his name is, Robert Maxwell. <sighs> not that I'm super, super ruined about it, but it's more like, wow. So you take you take down one guy, it's almost like Pizzagate. It's not quite Pizzagate, but it's, like, Pedogate. And then... It's like they can't even follow up on the major villains that surrounded him. And they're not even scrutinized by the press. Well, the press is Zio. And so, like, whenever a big case like that breaks, like, nobody really... A few people do, but it's like they're... I mean, they've done some pieces. They did some big pieces on her. But I'm surprised that there's not, like, a gaggle of reporters, like, finding where she is and chasing her. And, you know, that, I mean, obviously, that'd be a big story. And so, like, if there's a big story that's not being covered, much like 9-11 Truth, gotta wonder why not and estimate. So considering she's British, and uh, I don't know if she's Jewish, but she's kind of like, you know, go between. There's this little theory or whatever that her nonprofit was trying to make this uh, oceanic or Atlanticist global network of islanders who are sort of offshore. Maybe there's a lot of truth to that, maybe not. I mean, I listened to her PR pitch, and it just kind of seemed like any kind of foundation that's quasi-environmental you know, maybe it's, it doesn't really necessarily seem like some supranational Atlanticist council. But it might have been. And I mean, after all, I mean, everything that's like that is Atlanticist. As uh, early in the history of studying 9-11, I found, I don't know if it was Andres Van Bulos, Bulo or whatever, but they said it was Atlanticist. Oh, it was actually a Russian general who said that 9-11 was done by Atlanticists for business reasons. Yeah, it was. I can't remember that guy's name. And of course, you know, all the Jews and the Italians would say those 
pundits and podcasters and whatnot would say that, oh my God, Russia, Russia, Russia. But that was whatever. He was like a major general. So probably Putin knew from long ago that 9-11 was done by Atlanticists. And that would include Zionists and the British specifically. And maybe the Rothschilds. And after all, when Keith Murdoch, or Rupert Murdoch, sorry, I don't know who was Keith. I think that was his dad. When Rupert Murdoch, Dick Cheney, and one of the Rothschilds, I think Nathaniel, had a joint agreement for the Golan Heights oil, that was like almost just the, the summation or the cherry on the top of the fucking cake. It proved. I mean, it, it proved like collaboration that was so substantial across, across all the dynamic, you know, aspects of mental control over ideology as well as raw resources and control of the bureaucracy. Federal. It was the ultimate synthesis. And it was almost like, that was it. Go on heights, too. And uh, maybe, I heard about that. I think they dropped a bomb on that, right? Under Trump. And if that's Syria or the contested zone, I'm not quite sure. And I've seen some pretty waterfalls, I think, in Golan Heights on video. But, you know, apparently, allegedly, there's, like, major oil reserves. But then I also heard that there's tons and tons of minerals there. So what I recollect was that they used this MOAB, mother of all bombs. And my theory was that they actually dropped it on the mineral reserves to just blow them up. And it was almost just, like, agreed upon. Like, the art of the deal was Trump's like, oh, I like that deal. Let's drop this huge fucking bomb, blow up these minerals... And then they can start to uh, mine it. And I mean, these people, you know, they're just businessmen. Not that I have this all figured out, but it's just like, those are my impressions. And what does that leave for me? Well, here I am watching some water flow by. I suppose I watch the water. Or it's in the shape of a wave. I don't want to get too metaphysical about it. Or phenomenological. I look, I see the waves of the water. And so I do watch the water flow by, especially in the breaking ripples. Otherwise, in general, I stare at the water. So it's more like semantics. I look at the water, and I see the body of it, although it is translucent, so I fail to perhaps actually see it. But since the designation of the material is known to be an English noun, what I see is not exactly the word, nor semantically is it absolutely relevant exactly if I see the water flow or if I see the water as is. Yet I say I see the water flow, and this would be a fair description in English of what we commonly say is. I report Oh, and I, I read this morning in this book on yoga, sort of, or Buddhism, about what it is we report. I couldn't believe it. It was like, everything I read this morning was just so much exactly what I've been summarizing recently, and as far as, like, what I do. I just want to read this, too, because it was like... Suppose I find that there is no solid me, 
that possibility scares me. I don't want to go into that. That was a quote, like a hypothetical fear that we might have. And then it says, that abstract paranoia, the discomfort that something may be wrong, is the source of... I don't want to read that part. I might throw someone off. It is the fear of ultimate confusion and despair. The fear of the absence of self, of the egoless, egoless state, is a constant threat to us. Suppose it is true, what then? I am afraid to look. We want to maintain some solidity, but the only material available with which to work is space, the absence of ego, so we try to solidify or freeze that experience of space. Ignorance of this case is not stupidity, but a kind of stubbornness. Suddenly we are bewildered by the discovery of selflessness and do not want to accept it. We want to hold on to something. It started out by saying, because as, as, as soon as we have a moment where we're not thinking about ourselves, here it says, when a gap or space occurs in our experience of mind, when there is a sudden glimpse of awareness, openness, absence of self, then a suspicion arises. And we go back to maintaining the self, essentially. And then I think there's, he has this like list of steps that is occurring. I think this is based on Buddhism. Oh, it says the five skandhas, a set of Buddhist concepts which describe ego as a five-step process. And then I think it's the second one. Now the third one. No. There's this part where it talks about recording. this part too. Our thoughts are neurotic in the sense that they are irregular, changing direction all the time, and overlapping one another. We continually jump from one thought to the next, that's figurative, from spiritual thoughts to sexual fantasies to money matters to domestic thoughts and so on. The whole development of the five skandhas, ignorance, form, feeling, impulse, perception, concept, and consciousness is an attempt on our part to shield ourselves from the truth of our insubstantiality. Where was that part about recording when I said? The next step is occupying ourselves, diverting our attention from our aloneness. constantly try to prove that one does exist by feeling one's projections as a solid thing. Feeling of solidity of something seemingly outside you reassures you that you are a solid entity as well. Oh, here it is. Third stage. The ego develops three strategies or impulses with which to relate to its projections. Indifference, passion, and aggression. These impulses are guided by perception. 
Perception in this case is the self-conscious feeling that you must officially report back to central headquarters what is happening in any given moment. Then you can manipulate each situation by organizing another strategy. And it goes on. I mean, this is actually a really cool book. I, I couldn't believe that I went right into there. And uh, the first major point that caught my interest was whenever we do have a moment of meditation or silence of the mind, like we just change like right back to that whole racing thoughts thing because like it scares us. Now, I don't know if I would say us, but I would say maybe me. Because I really identify with that. I'm like, yeah, because when I have those moments, I can hold them for a moment, but I have my eyes open. I'm in nature, but I just I just want to go back to reporting. And then, so that was the second thing that really caught my attention. Like, oh, yeah, because we have to report back. It's the self-conscious feeling that you must officially report back to central headquarters what is happening in any given moment. Then you can manipulate each situation by organizing another strategy, which is all like maintenance of the ego and stuff. And it goes on. But yeah, um, I guess, I don't know if that's true. Skandas? Why don't I look up five Skandas? And then S-K-A-N-D-H-A-S. And then I'll have like a, a different, see if those are actually objective references from Buddhist thought. Which I just put that on the same note as my lyric, which is, what's wrong with being nothing? That's kind of a coincidence. I was just contemplating that question. So it's a familiar question. Actually, that's is exactly the same sort of, you know, contemplation, which is, what is wrong with me just being nothing and not doing anything? I mean, I might even say maybe that's more than a coincidence, but what a what an important or what a you know relevant coincidence as well that I had already reached that point and thought that I decided to write my major lyric is what is wrong with being nothing, and then this is all about that. It's like I opened the book and it was just exactly the same thing. I guess the only reason that's not a coincidence is because I'm in Santa Cruz and like Buddhism and contemplation of nothingness versus desire is like a very like common ideology around here. And I picked up a book that was just like out in the bushes. Oh, there's that same uh, statement, the Munson family. Someone made it really big. I can see they erased it though. The Munson family from Scotts Valley. I can tell what it says. It says the Munson or something. And I know what this is. As I was saying recently, there's this guy, somebody goes around, maybe it's a female goes around and patiently does this graffiti about this family from Scotts Valley and claims that they're all a bunch of pedophiles. The Munsons. M-U-N-S-O-N. Hey, I mean, that's just reality. Like, I just wonder if that's not like some advertisement for like fucking, if you want to go get some. Because it's so persistent. It's like if someone just has like a vendetta 
by now, like, haven't the Munsons been arrested? I mean, it's not like everybody hasn't seen that somehow. The Munsons of Scott Valley are persistently accused of pet off by a vandal in Santa Cruz. Um, not that I really want to do a snitch thing like that, but you know, I mean, fucking A. I mean, it's so persistent by now, it's just a fact of like the ephemeral experience in, in my hometown. It's been going on for years. So, I mean, that's just something about being a snitch. It's like, as a reporter, like, I'm kind of like constantly asking myself lately, or not constantly, but often, like, what's the difference between being a quality reporter and just being a fucking snitch? And I think the answer would be, uh, I don't want to live in a civilization where disgusting, decrepit criminals and organized crime, like, runs riot against us. I mean, I'm, I'm one for, like, forgiveness of some petty theft and whatnot, especially if there's reform. But consistent, like, organized crime that is, like, absolutely, you know, milking everybody else, figurative, but taking all the fucking money and, like, getting away with it. Or people are getting away with, like, really despicable crimes, like crimes against children or, like, you know, persistent violence. I mean, like I said, maybe I just, I have a, a forgiveness for, like, petty theft and whatnot if people are just trying to get by, but... I mean, I'm sure even that's wrong, and maybe my bias is because of my own history as a thief, petty thief, but, yeah, so I guess the answer for me is, like, reporting is for the general safety and hope that maybe we'll have more. This book says something about that, too. Like, what are we aspiring for? Like, we're constantly aspiring for something bigger and better in our society, like we have a whole, wait, was that in here? Yeah, it was. Um, where did it say that part? Oh, I think it was in a different different page. Like what we pursue with our free time and stuff. Like we pursue like all this stuff about making the world a better place. Oh, this is interesting too. If you buy a bottle of Coke, this is like me and coffee, it is exciting to hear the rattlings of the paper bag as you unpack it. The sound of the Coke spilling out of the bottle gives a delightful sense of thirst. When you 
self-consciously taste it and swallow it, you don't pour Coke out of a bottle. You drink it out of a bottle. And if you did spill it out, it would film, it would film over. Then you self-consciously taste it and swallow it. You have finally managed to consume it. Such an achievement. It was fantastic. You brought the dream into reality. But after a while, you become restless again. Restless again and look for something else to consume. I don't know. Honestly, I think Buddhism, and I'm not putting this book down. I really like this book. But Buddhism is almost like a trope. I call it uh, American Buddhism. And like as I was talking about yesterday... I grew up like with the Buddhist thought, kind of like the American, the Californian Buddhism thing, which is to me like largely a joke. Yet there's some practical elements to it that are just for anyone to really entertain in their mind. Like it's true. Like we we pursue things and then we consume them, and after we're done, like we want more. And so in recovery, especially like that's restless, irritable, and discontent. Like we're, you know. So, I mean, at some point, it's like, to, I don't know if everybody's going to feel the same thing, but just like that, that realization that nothing's really going to satisfy us. And then they say, the turn, turn towards the spiritual or towards God, but maybe that won't even fulfill us. Who knows? I really don't know. Because, like, for example, I'm filling up space myself, but I want to teach you what I've learned even though I think that some of what I refer to as sort of trite, I suppose. I think that's what I felt when I was reading that. I'm like, yeah, everybody knows that if you buy a Coke and you drink it, it's fun. But then afterwards, you're like, you want more because you're like satisfied your quest to consume something. But then afterwards, it's just like it's over. I mean, that seems to be like one of the main predicaments I'm constantly in. But I'm glad that like currently my obsession to consume or compulsive desire to achieve consumption is really limited to coffee and not to you know on and off with coffee and its limits instead of on and off with drugs and alcohol and nicotine because that shit's way more destructive and way more likely to throw me into some crazy ass mental illness as well as resorting to thievery or whatever scandalous behavior to get the fuck what I wanted because I'm so fucking addicted but I can kind of be the same way with coffee almost for sure but so yeah to describe the the trope or the platitude of some Buddhist thought I guess to acknowledge that California Buddhism or what I call American Buddhism is kind of a cartoon in fact, I was just watching or listening to Alan Watts again. The reason it's cartoonish to me is because there's so many tech guys in like Silicon Valley, as they call it, who are like so Buddhist. And I once read about how Buddhism neatly fits in with like this idea of having no responsibility for outcomes and like no responsibility then for like some kind of like huge income income gap or just it allows people to like you know, not be attached to the suffering of others, essentially. And so the essayist was saying that Buddhism is very convenient for tech CEOs that, you know, otherwise maybe a Christian ethos would say that, like, slavery in China that allows for the production of smartphones is actually horrible. But you know what? I don't know if there's really slavery in China. And every time I see those videos, I see, like, happy Chinese people diligently working, but they have, like, social 
you know, interactions in their factories and stuff, and they look happy. I mean, someone else might have a different perspective on that, but I'm just saying what I've seen through video, which I'm sure could be carefully controlled, but at the same time, just judging by the video, it looks like even in these factories, like, people are having fun, so... Yeah, there was that one case where the girl jumped out of the window and she committed suicide, but I think there was a few of them. Then they said they put up suicide nets. So that was actually kind of fucked up. But suicide, you know, allegedly is a big problem here too. So, although I can't speak from personal experience because the girl I knew who I heard commit suicide, I think might have been murdered. And there's another woman, as I don't want to go into my whole thing, but murder-suicide is more of a problem in America, I think, than suicide. Sometimes I feel like a champion of Signal. I'm like, I've already learned so much, and then like I try to convey it to people, but NFC, F-A-C-T-S, I was just kind of thinking about that, like how I grew up being a Buddhist, and then I made it a joke, and now I'm back again. And it's like, I don't mind Buddhism, and like I want to look that stuff up, but where was I also going with that thought? The idea of consuming a Coke, and then there's something I was going to go, oh, just questioning whether or not other people would be satisfied with that realization or if it will help them in life to realize that after we consume everything, be it sex, drugs, shopping, rock and roll, work, that will be absent any kind of ultimate satisfaction. And then they say turn towards God. Oh yeah, that's what I was going towards. Because uh, I saw this female at the soup kitchen the other day and she was like a zealous Christian. And she came up to this guy. It was really funny. I think I talked about it, but... um. The guy was wearing chains on his neck, like these big thick chains, like a weird weirdo. And she's like, oh my God, why are those chains on your neck? And he was like, I don't know, because I put them there. And she's like, can we get them off? And he's like, no, I don't have the key. And then she's like, oh my God, Jesus Christ doesn't want those chains on your neck. And I was like, oh my God, she's a Jesus freak. And so she went on to this like zealous prayer. She's like, oh. Jesus, Jesus, relieve this man of his bondage. And then it was like, okay. And so she's all, she's all, just watch. Like, Jesus will make those chains fall off your neck. And he's all, I don't mind that they're there. And then she's all, and if, if you want to meet up with me, we'll, if we have to, we'll go to the hardware store and we'll just clip them off your neck. And he's all, oh, okay. Well, no, I'm going to, like, the soup kitchen tonight. Or he's going to the church where I used to go. Ah, no, where I'm going to go next week, I'm sure. Because I'm still going to those places, but who do I think I am? Like, I got out of it for a week just because I have food stamps. That just crossed my mind wrong. I just said it wrong. Oh, to the place where I used to go. No, I'm still going. But I guess what I brought that up about was, like, uh, zealous pursuit of some kind of vision of what is a god may not ultimately be satisfying for some of us as well, but in, like, the intoxicated rapture of, like, believing... believing you're chosen or that you're in the thing. I mean, I can observe her and assess, but she's probably not going to be... Actually, at the same time, she'd be like, oh yeah, I had the coke and I was unsatisfied and then I found Jesus. But she seems like she's sort of in this self-satisfied state that's just sort of like biochemical. So I always look at some Jesus freaks and stuff as just being like, they just drink the Kool-Aid. They, they believe in this thing. And like, I, I just can't believe in it. I can't accept Jesus as my savior. And because I've tried and it leaves me like 
still wanting. But I mean, I guess I could save Jesus. You know, I'm, I accept him as my Lord and Savior. I accept Buddha as my Savior too. I almost want to say I accept Satan as my Lord and Savior too, because I might as well just accept it all. But uh, Lucifer as my Lord and Savior, but no, I don't accept Satan as my Lord and Savior. But the more that I've learned about what the word Satan means, which is the enemy, and Lucifer is the light bringer, and the morning star essentially, it's like Lucifer is almost like my Savior as well. But it sounds so wrong. It's kind of like saying I'm a Nazi. It's like it just sounds so counterintuitive to who I used to be. And, like, I still have this, like, existential dread that, like, I'm maybe getting this all wrong. And, like, I've been, like, the victim of some satanic plot to kind of coerce me away from being a Christian. Yet, once I started learning Gnosticism, the idea that the Demiurge or whatever, or, or the Lord Jehovah... I mean, it might be, if you got, you got if you're a Christian, you would want to ask yourself at some point, well, then how do you know that God isn't Satan and you haven't been tricked by these four gospels? I mean, after all, read Genesis. It's, it's entirely fucking plausible that it's all a weird trick. And so the cognizant uh, skeptics and or the Gnostics at, at some point, they said that the snake was the savior and the God character was the the enemy which kind of makes sense because the god didn't want you to have eternal life once you ate from the tree of good and evil and it says in english at least let us stop adam for he may become like us if he eats from the tree of life and that was like long ago i asked he may become like us what is that, polytheism? Because he's referring to more than one god. And then there's the whole royal we thing, which is the, I think the hypothesis that he speaks as Elohim, he speaks, and that's a gendered plurality of voices. He speaks of itself, or she speaks of itself, it speaks of itself in plurality as a royal we. He will become like us. And uh, I think there may have been a time where the royals of uh, English, England spoke of themselves in the royal we. He may become like us. But that seems like beyond me, grammatically and stuff, but that is the definition of the royal we. I had a friend who actually named one of his bands the royal we. He was actually a really good musician. Although I kind of uh, screwed up our friendship my once I played music with him and I kind of was judgmental about some of his tracks and we didn't quite congeal which I was kind of ashamed of because like some of the things I said early like I sometimes judge people superficially and I'm very uh, sort of judgmental about music and lyrics and stuff I sort of had this like aversion to like indie pop anything that was too quaint and cute like it always just too bubblegum, you know, I, I was like, I wasn't into that, whereas I like that guy's um, control over the fretboard and his sense of melody and stuff, like some of his lyrics were just a little silly to me, and I, I found myself kind of, I guess, revolted by them.
Well, I'm currently in good standing. The ranger drove by and did not come out to arrest me. Um, I didn't consciously choose to refer to the water in a way that was sort of metaphorical, but Siddhartha kind of said as much in the end of the Hermann Hesse novel that the river is constantly flowing, but it's there, but it's moving. And it felt like that was the ultimate metaphor for life. Actually, this book was saying the same thing. It was like, well, why do we live life? But I was watching Downton Abbey last night. Like, why, why do we live life? And the thing for me is, because it's hard not to. It's fucking hard not to. I was already suicidal, and, like, I was afraid of suicide. So when I wake up, and I do have this happen to me a lot, I'm like, what am I doing this for? And then I'm lying there in the sand. A few days ago, I was lying in my sleeping bag, and I'm like, that's why I want to do a music festival. I'm like, why am I here? Like, I don't, you know, I'm just waking up in the sand, and then I go to the library. Sometimes I have coffee, sometimes I don't, and then I stay on the Internet all day. And I program my projects. And I'm like, what am I doing? Because if I don't do those things, I'm like, I'm just laying here in the sand, in the fog. And I'm warm when I wake up, but I have some kind of bad mood and anxiety in the first 15 minutes of waking up. Unless I have this passion to go do something. Like this morning, it was, oh, I get to go buy a coffee. Yes. And other times, it's like, oh, I'm going to go, you know, program my music festival. Or I'm going to go out and work on my show business. Or most of the time, it's like I wake up with some bad fears and just regrets and disappointment and stuff until I set up. And I, I think it is kind of biochemical, my, my way of looking at it. I can't control what I dream about. I can't seem to control what I wake up with in my mind, but as soon as I upright myself and my body, my mind kind of settles a little bit, I almost instantly get into this workaholism and or just this excitement to pursue my projects. And then as soon as I press record, I start talking and that's how I program myself. And I mean, it is kind of like a antidepressant motivational strategy, which is fine with me. Like I'd rather be a workaholic than depressed all the time and I would rather go racing around as I said earlier this week over projects that I might not even complete because they're too grand than just feel like I'm not going to do anything with my life and it's if it's only because I like to be active but like this guy said about the coke by the way I was reading from uh, the myth of freedom and the way of meditation by Chogyam Trungpa C-H-O-G-Y-A-M T-R-U-N-G-P-A. I mean, I think it's a good book. I think it's a great book. That's why I picked it up and I put it in my bag because it's a pretty small book and I'm like, it's kind of rare. I'm sure that those thoughts in general are like way out there because like I was saying, I mean, out there like persistently because it's Buddhism and American Buddhism and it's, it's popular. I'm sure it's out there. There's probably others who are very similar. Everybody has a favorite person. I think there's that one thick neck thon. I think it's a, is it a female Buddhist white woman with a shaved head? Or maybe that's some Vietnamese monk. I don't remember. It seems like there's two. There's one, I had a girlfriend one time and she uh, recommended this female monk. And I think it was called, her book was called When Everything Falls Apart. I don't know if that's Thich Nhat Thanh though, but. So everybody has a favorite Buddhist monk. And, you know, there's many authors, I'm sure. And some of them are probably more popular than others, but. This book kind of stood out to me. I was like, wow, I opened it up and it was like saying exactly what I've been thinking about all this week. So I guess what I'm to summarize is like I'm saying is that I guess I'm teaching these principles 
as I talk about myself constantly because I was I, I basically raised on these thoughts. I mean, Christianity is one thing, but American Buddhism or the interpretation of Buddhism from the Californian hippie American perspective, Silicon Valley even, I don't really do the Silicon Valley thing because I haven't really been pursuing wealth. But, you know, it's like Steve Jobs in the turtleneck and the blue jeans. It's like he never changes his fucking clothes, but somehow he he Buddhists himself into fucking being the richest corporation in the world. I think it's just a hustle, really. I think it's more apparition than actuality. It's sort of like a, you know. Then they're making fun of, uh, what's her name, Elizabeth Holmes for sort of dressing like Steve Jobs with a turtleneck every day. I gave a theory out the other day that she was actually taken down because she was going to bring blood tests into the home, and that would prove, if this is my if my theory is correct, that all the blood work that is done in criminal law is false. And we already have evidence of that. There was a woman who was in Texas. They said, you never know, though. Maybe the story was reversed. They said she was falsifying all these DNA tests. It just occurred to me that maybe there were some gangsters that got accused by her with blood work who then turned it against her. But the thing about Theranos would be that as soon as blood work is done in the home, and anonymously especially, not only would probably so many diseases be proven to be probably fictitious, but also guilt and innocence with blood samples could be more, could be exposed, and truth could be found, for science is real, I'm sure. And I have seen, by the way, uh, what I appeared, what appeared to be blood and DNA samples actually working in a criminal uh, investigation and or like the, the, what can I say? I, I saw DNA inside of gelatin and I've seen the basic function of, like, what is a DNA test for um, <clears throat> guilt or innocence based upon sample. Because I had a biotechnology class when I was in junior college. I have a funny story about that, too, because I think that's kind of rare. But if you go to college, too, and I went to Santa Monica College, which is very accessible for many, I was able to do what is a DNA test, like to test for guilt or innocence based upon who left the sample there. And then there was three other... Uh, samples. And one thing I did, and I think I was conscious of it at the time, is she told us to go put suspect number one here, suspect number two, suspect number three, suspect number four in this little petri dish thing with the gelatin. And what happens is the way that the uh, DNA is cut by, I guess, the nucleotide pattern, there's a certain mm, protein inhibitor, I think, that cuts the DNA. It gives everybody a unique... Uh, pattern of DNA strands and some are smaller and some are larger and therefore what happens is the faster ones get to move through the gelatin quicker towards this other destination which must be some kind of uh, maybe it's electricity and so it creates a unique pattern where smaller strands of DNA versus longer strands move at different rates and it creates this pattern that is then uh, indicative of a unique individual and therefore can be tested against other samples. I mean, I saw all the science, and I was, it was believable. It's logical, and it sounded true. The thing that I did, by the way, if you don't know what all that is, I'm encouraging you to go do some biotechnology on yourself, 
or yourself and you can prove it to yourself. That's what she wanted us to know. But what I did is I mixed up the suspect samples, just one. And so my pattern looked a little bit different than everybody else's. But I knew from that that at least the samples I had, it wasn't just some hoax before I tested it myself. In a sense, I tested because otherwise it might have just been all this pattern. But she liked that about me. She said, oh, what did you do? She's like, somebody in the class like turned it around and sort of investigated themselves. But I was thinking about that again because I was like, if you know biotech or anything like what I'm saying, it's like, you know, I mean, I had the samples and I could see that the samples she gave me lined up. In my way, I sort of tested whether or not the one sample, it wasn't just some pattern that could be manipulated while I wasn't watching. I could see that over the course of time, my test was more indicative of some kind of truth that I attested to by changing the pattern so that I might recognize exactly what was what. Yet, and that's important, but at the same time, I didn't control the samples. And so in all these criminal justice cases where you didn't control the samples, I mean, if you didn't know that by now, whoever gave you the blood, you know, that's called chain of custody. I mean, you could have blood or semen. Oh, oh, this is definitely the suspect. Look, the DNA test shows it is. Well, who gave you that sample and did it come from the scene of the crime? Did it come from the suspect? And is the matching sample from the suspect or was it planted there and or was there any other form of manipulation or framing even if the sample from the suspect and the scene what is attested to be the scene of the crime did he put it there i mean his blood could be splattered on it hospitals take our blood all the time and some people might even have sperm samples or there might be a different way and then there could be manipulation but any scientist any dna specialist who is brought to a trial if they didn't control the chain of evidence, then how the fuck would they know that they had the right samples and that somebody hadn't manipulated the outcome? And if you don't think that thing, that kind of thing happens, then you're obviously uninformed. I mean, it's totally possible. You don't think criminals frame each other or that from criminals frame innocent people? Well, then where the fuck have you ever been? I mean, you can watch any show, any whatever, special victims unit or whatever that show is, Law and Order. You know, every once in a while, somebody's going to be framing people with blood or sample. And it might be a law enforcer, it might be a prosecutor, it might be a judge, it might be an analyst. So I think, I mean, I'm not saying I have this all figured out, but I'm saying I will always be skeptical of official stories. And especially when there's like a motive that would suggest that maybe this person had no intent, but somebody else might have, if there's big issues at stake and if the person claims innocence and they have a reasonable alibi especially and even if they profess guilt I think in some cases but I'm not a criminal justice expert but some people have noted that people confess to crimes that I don't do for certain reasons sometimes maybe many reasons either idiocy insanity or maybe they're part of an organized crime ring like I was just inferring about Epstein it's possible that he went down and it's all just sort of a, a dummy thing and he might go out the back door of the jail. I mean, look what happened to Al Chapo. Al Chapo went out the back door of a fucking jail a few times, didn't he? Or he went through a tunnel? Allegedly. But that's just the narrative. 
I'm saying Epstein could, like, they could say he died, but if you haven't looked in the casket, like, is his body in there? Or is he wearing an air mask? I mean, they could put an air mask on him, oxygen tank, and put him inside of a fucking box and take him right out the door. Look at what happened to Bernie Madoff. You know, oh, he got the judgment against him and his wife was going to get all his money after he died, so he died. And then where the fuck did he go? You know, I think he probably popped out of a fucking casket. I'm always willing to think that shit. I mean, look at any fucking movie. Uh, the only thing that I think that might be good about all this is that, as I'm a fictionalist as well, like, I can create these scenarios, and even if they're not true, I mean, I can use them in a movie. So, I mean, there's something to that. Like, if I can't have absolute justice in this country, and these guys can get away with murder, then at least I can have a good story that I could put into a movie. So can you. But uh, if you take one of my stories and turn it into a fiction, try to kick me back 10%, at least if you're, you're gross. Because that's what next gets. Next gets 10%. Next is not really my main name doing business as, but next is the social media. So after I have all these projects, and boom, 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 boom. If you take a fucking profit off of something I made, I'm not saying you can necessarily without my permission, but I don't really want to be like that. I'm just saying, try to be gentlemanly or fair if you're a woman, gentlewomanly, and kick me back 10%. If you learn something from me, give me a donation. Or if you use something like that, I wouldn't know how to really attribute just one idea. But if you write a script around an idea that I gave you, try kicking back 10%. That could be a working relationship. Also in comedy, I've heard it said by comedians that they sell jokes for $5 a piece. I think that's fair, too. If you want to buy one of my jokes, just $5 is fine. I mean, it's fair. I don't know if that's true, but that sounds fair. You know, it's like if you want to have one of my jokes, just pay me 5 bucks. But I'm not going to be out there going, oh, I, you know. I might notice if you take one of my jokes. And I might notice if you use one of my ideas. But then, I mean, I'm, I don't want to say I'm a plagiarist, but I'm definitely, there's concurrent thinking, then there's plagiarism, and then there's like, con yeah, concurrent thinking. And then there's, like, unconscious incorporation of other people's material, which I think I do all the time. It's not even plagiarism so much as, like, I kind of unconsciously heard something, like, a week ago, and then I come up with it, and I think it's, like, my own. Like, in melodies, that happens a lot. Chord progressions. In fact... Now that I think about that, that makes me kind of skeptical of any song I come up with. Because I usually kind of am thinking something. And then I'm like, oh, I'll just, I'm, I'm composing. And it's like, maybe, I've seen it in myself a lot. Like, I'm actually just playing something that I heard in the previous month. That I became really familiar with, usually. Like, somebody else's song that I really liked. The, like, the, the chord progression will be in my head. So when I start composing, I'm actually just playing what I heard. And I don't really realize it all the time until later. I think there's a way to get around that, though, and it would involve, like, using the stave or the musical staff and or just the fretboard or the piano and just sort of objectively creating intervals until I find something that kind of starts to sound cool together, which is another way I compose, and I kind of enjoy composing that way. But, but even then, if I try out all these intervals and I start to find a chord progression I like or a counterpoint, I might just experiment until I just settle on something that sounds good and why does it sound good because i've heard it before but also you know what is familiarity with atonal or 
intervals that are just unpopularly used. I mean, sometimes I'll use those. I prefer those because I'm like, oh, this sounds new. But uh, what is an original composition? I mean, you know, it's a challenge. Which is part of the reason I don't even really take much credit for my work anymore. It's like I realize that the, I don't want to call it plagiarism, but that there's this continuity between all the previous music and, for me, jokes and reporting, news, Buddhism, religiosity and or spiritual manifestation and or declaration of what is philosophy and observation. It's almost like I'm always just like reciting like what's already been said. If I have a skill, it's to synthesize everything I've ever learned. But I wouldn't necessarily want to take credit for it all. And if you put my name on it, or if I put my name on it, it would be like kind of a loose designation, I think, because I can't really take credit for everything I say. It's just zeitgeist. It's all consciousness I've learned from so many sources. And so sometimes I think I cite them, but sometimes, like in platitudes, and maybe just in paradigm, like I might not even understand like exactly where I'm coming from. But I kind of behave like a trope constantly. So I've analyzed like a lot of my own tropes, like the characters I play when I'm reporting and stuff, like hard-boiled reporter, cynic, sort of like a multi-character schizo, almost individual reveling in cartoonist voices, which is basically like based on Looney Tunes and or just like some kind of silliness that is maybe modern, but it's like a cartoonist's paradigm of multiple characters. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I'm a comedian and like any radio host who speaks in two voices or mocks some character or makes fun of somebody or becomes them in their act is, is really similar to what I'm talking about. Nothing wrong with it, though. To fend off, like, you know, major allegations that I'm a schizo. <clears throat> but fending off allegations of schizo or schizophrenia is not even the most, I would say, almost necessary, although nothing is really quite necessary, defense against professional psychologists, mostly females nowadays, who, or psychotherapists, or psychologists, whatever, which, who has ever prescribing the drugs and who's ever just using linguistics to manipulate minds or cause you to think that you need something either from them or from someone else or that you're doing it wrong. The main threat, especially to the man, is accusations of narcissism. And that is so persistent. I mean, it's, it is a classist thing. Maybe it started out as a high-class insult that could manipulate some men into doing the bidding of women. But it's already devolved down into the lower classes. Like, I heard this woman, I'm not trying to shame her or anything, but I heard her at an AA meeting recently. So-and-so dumped me. She didn't say that exactly, but so-and-so, I found out that my ex-husband was a narcissist. And it's just like, I'm just like, I'm so used to this by now. I'm like, yeah, so the man either dumped you or he didn't pay you, and now he's a narcissist. It happens all the time. I mean, my ex-girlfriend called me a narcissist. Same reasons. And it's just like, it's such a familiar insult by now. It's like, I think it says a lot more about the woman who says it than the man. Is there anything coherent to the accusation of narcissism or malignant narcissists or inverted narcissists and all these fancy forms of saying the man didn't do what I wanted him to do? And here's, here's a set of 
rhetorical tools that you can use against your man to make sure that he does what you do instead of being self-interested. That's why selflessness or even deference to someone that is like deemed to be non-narcissistic is, as far as I'm concerned, just you're being coerced. You're being cucked, to use the new phrase. And it's common. Women are constantly trying to do that stuff. And they use it, they use psychological language to manipulate men into thinking that there's something wrong with loving yourself. For after all, isn't narcissism just loving yourself? The excessive version of that, perhaps, yeah, vanity and over-dependence over upon your physical characteristics or obsession with it. I mean, you could look at it as a dysfunction in your own line of work, but if someone's telling you you're a narcissist, they're probably trying to fucking manipulate you, basically, is my point. And I think there's a real weird dichotomy between, like, everyone saying, you've got to love yourself. Yet when you do, they call you a narcissist. I think that that's really fucked up. And so whoever's telling you what to do, or one way or another, they're manipulating you. And it's usually women who are psychologists. And what do they want, especially if they're good looking and they live in New York? They want a place to fucking poop. They want a place to pee and shit, I already said shit, and get fucked by a big black dick on the weekends, like when you're not there. And they'll dress in leather, they'll, you know, they'll whip a guy... They'll hang out with bankers, and they'll call every other man that comes near them who's smart a narcissist. And if they can't get you to fucking pay them to be a dominatrix, they'll try to destroy you. I've seen it, like, so many times. I've seen, like, the the net result of, like, all of these behavior patterns. So when I see these girls online and stuff, and they're acting like that, like dominatrixes who want to fuck you up if you figure out that they're fucking dom, or whatever the fuck they are, Leather fetishists and or just psychologists. I mean, there's a certain Venn diagram pattern that overlaps a whole different bunch of people. BDSM, psychologists, people who don't labor. People who just use the mind to control other people and use linguistics. I don't think I'm so phobic of those people. It's just I feel like I'm up to their, I know their game. But with that being said, I mean, would you like to work for me? for me, is an agenda that is sort of uh, laid out, practically open source. Lately, I've been kind of wondering, why am I even trying to copyright or say that I have intellectual property? Yet, it's mainly so that hopefully people won't just try to walk away with all my fucking ideas. Like, I'm trying to get you to work for me, but in tandem with me. And I don't know, I kind of want to make sure that I'm not getting back into that fucking compulsive desire to organize and control everybody's activities. But, actually back to the guy I was talking about in the beginning. I'm thinking, this one guy, I mean, he's kind of young, you know, and he's an actor. I don't think he's really got into a successful procedure yet. And while it kind of sounded like a joke that I was saying I was an acting teacher, as a matter of fact, I kind of am. So I am a producer, and if I start scripting for him, it might give him something that will help him and I'll ask him to get a couple other people together, maybe maybe a dialogue partner, maybe just for a, you know, I don't know. But most likely like three or four, maybe even five or six people for a central cast of like one of the fucking shows. And then he'll act, he'll start producing, 
and he'll start directing too until a different director comes in. And so he would be my point man, essentially, to organize one of these scripts. And as I said earlier, like to realize that I would also try to use him to connect with some of the people that were in that place until like I have someone else who might do it for me. Yeah. I mean, that might be selfish and calculating and whatnot, but it's also work. You know, so show business is like a weird thing. Like if I was running a grocery store and I looked at one guy and I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll get this guy in here. Now, I don't pay salaries, right? But I wish I could, but I just don't have enough. I don't have gross revenue. I don't have income. But I could probably pay some people a little bit, but not right now. I don't have any cash, but it's like I could feed you. You know, I could eventually I could probably pay you. But, um, you know, I'd have to get into some revenue procedures. So I can, I can kind of guarantee you a percentage of revenue if we get revenue. But until then, I can't pay you a wage. But I'm just saying, if I was like a grocer and I was managing a grocery store and I saw this guy, I'm like, okay, so you, you'd be good. And then you could hire the bagger or I could get your friend who could be good for the bagger and then the produce wholesaler if I needed one. That would just be, I'm trying to use a paradigm that would make more sense, but running a show and stuff, it's more like, you know, I mean, I see a whole bunch of talent and then there's some big name talent and he is in the position or he was to talk to them. And I'd rather have someone else talk for me anyway, because I don't necessarily want to go back to WeHo and be sitting there. I don't want to call it wanting to be a star fucker, but I'm asking myself lately, like, not only is it worth it to me to go back, but is it even effective for me to just sit there? I mean, I'm a stinky motherfucker too. And like, I'd have to take a shower before I felt like I wanted to walk up to some of those people and ask them to do something. And it'd be better for me anyway, if someone else did it for me. And I want to remain remote because it's like, it's way easier. I mean, maybe it's one of my character limitations or whatever, but I can gain the confidence within me to ask people to do things for me, but I'd rather have someone else do that. And by the way, I think that guy would be good at that. So, I'd consider him an asset at this point. That's a lot to say about somebody that hasn't even agreed to work with me. But he did agree to, like, you know, do a thing. And uh, I don't really want to... Now I'm starting to feel like one of those guys who uses people in recovery for, like, my own ends. But if it's a mutually beneficial procedure and the guy's doing good and he wants to be an actor, I mean, I want to be an executive producer, so, like, what's the problem? That's a good question. I don't think there is a problem. And then there would be these other competitors or rivals who would try to, you know, manipulate me out of effectiveness at some point, especially if they're organized with corporations. And so to kind of be on guard against that and just to realize that I can do that is fair. And then if he's cognizant, he can hear this just as well as you. You know, he can decide for himself what he wants to do. I almost want to wrap up with like a little bit of discomfort I had at realizing this other person who's a really good songwriter and I think a good singer maybe didn't look as cool as I thought he was going to look. I just pictured him in a different way. And uh, I feel kind of fucking shitty about saying that. I don't know, I just pictured him like looking like this certain kind of rock star guy. And also I pictured him living in a certain area. So I was a little bit like, wait, you're in the wrong part of the fucking country, and you don't look anything like I thought you were going to look. And so I was like, ugh. 
But when I first saw him, I didn't realize he was the same guy as who I was now I'm referring to. And I was like, oh, new location in particular region. Recommendation of an associate. This is good because I didn't really have a, a, a person or a point man or a point woman in that geography, which is between here and this other place that I kind of want to go. And there's this other guy actually on my Instagram who's out there too. And that's a great destination. I've had some great shows out in that particular space. So I just further the uh, tour circuit now and make use of new observations without necessarily discarding some of my optimism. But I'm embarrassed by some of that, you know, superficiality. But at the same time, I have a certain uh, expectations sometimes. If I was booking models and someone came in and they didn't look like I wanted them to look, then I might try to place them somewhere else. <sighs> That's just life, isn't it? And at the same time, like I might not want to be someone who's like super, super fascinated with people's appearances, but I guess at times I kind of have certain expectations and then I kind of maybe am a little bit jarred. When uh, my expectations are not exactly true, I don't think that's absolutely unknown to other people. And uh, I might have some preferences or or an awareness of like what is attractiveness versus what is non-attractiveness in some cases even if it is subjectively concluded it might be related to like some basic aesthetical evaluations which are common Yeah, apparition for a certain outcome is sort of fundamental to show business, even if it's just magic, including distraction and procedure that causes the trick. Not that I am a magician, but I did train myself in magic when I was about 10 years old. I didn't really kind of realize that until, like, later, but, uh... I don't really do tricks on stage. I don't do sleight of hand. But when I do editing, you know, I seek to produce, I mean, I use magic essentially, but it's not trickery really that's designed to mystify so much as cause for the willing suspension of disbelief that leads to a more transcendental experience for the fiction to occur in the mind's eye. In fact, I sort of saw evidence of that recently as I saw an edit of a video I did years ago. 
And there was tricks, like in the outcome of the edit, which is the final edit, I had manipulated footage essentially to even cause like a plot point or two that was like maybe unfamiliar to the actress as well as the director. And I can't remember if I had scripted that concept or if I had invented it in the editing. And I also thought that my responsibility to the talent is in the future perhaps to make sure that they're not going to be involved in a final edit that they would completely disapprove of. Or if they have my, um, or if I have their permission to have an experimental edit that may not be what they had expected the outcome to be. Although I would say I'm not going to like defame you with like gross pornography or absolutely horrendous and offensive imagery unless you consent to that. So if I, if I put you in like a picture that's a comedy, I'm not going to like surround you with a whole bunch of pornography or anything like that. Unless I lose control of my will. Someone else might though. And I wouldn't even advocate for that, but we never know when we publish online what's going to happen to our video footage and how it's going to get mashed up. By the way, there's like the new thing that everybody seems to be super up, upset about is like deep fakes in porn and revenge porn that is deep fake. And people like females say they want to ban this. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. You're never going to ban that. And that just gets to the pussy power thing like of the dominatrix who thinks that she can be all fucking, you know, secure in her female sexuality without being manipulated in the minds of others. Like if you, if they take your picture princess bitch and they fucking put it on a porn star suddenly, Oh my God, they might think you're a porn star. And then your whole reputation and your willingness to be a whore in the sheets and a nun on the streets or a psychologist in the streets is averted or diverted. Is that right? Cause I do get emotional too, don't I? Because, yeah, there's a lot of fucking women, dude, that come from Manhattan and stuff, and they try to control the internet and stuff. Mm -mm. It's not going to work anymore. I ain't gonna work on Maggie's farm no more. I ain't gonna work on Maggie's farm no more. She puts you in the movie. She makes you pay for her. IMDB contacts using the dollar, and I don't need to be casting your show. I ain't gonna work on Bialy's farm no more. I'll pack a snack for later. Nah, she's not gonna get back to you. Get back at me. She's in a guild. Yeah, no, I have some resentment here and there. But you never know if Instagram is shadow banning me or if they recognize my 
semi-anonymous profile and or I've been thinking about bringing out my whole name again and just going on Facebook and Instagram, but I just, I can barely bring myself to put my name into those systems anymore because not just because there's so-called like privacy violations and stuff, which to me is like, but it's really, it is kind of safety of friends and family too. It's like, if I'm going to be producing against, you know, the monopoly of like these murderers, I really want to put my name on everything until it's fucking made. And even after it's made, do I want my fucking name on that? I don't even think that's effective uh, managerial technique. For after all, my name is like a liability. I mean, every time I put my name out, it's like I'm creating a centralized position of manipulation or potential manipulation and or coercion, especially against my friends and family. So I, I actually much prefer to remain as I am, capable of producing as is, and my boyfriend's not on Instagram either, or Twitter. I want you to call my boyfriend and tell him what the fuck is up. No, not call him, actually. Just I want you to tell him in person. And what do I need him for? Oh, yeah, he's going to direct 911. Do you know who my boyfriend is? I do. My boyfriend's back and you're gonna be in trouble. Hey la, hey la, my boyfriend's back. I just heard his boyfriend, his his buddy is in the pussy posse. And I'm like, he's in the pussy posse. It's almost like those guys, you know, they might be taking the algo against me. But I think that they were like really just basically kind of like hipsters talking about some guy that I might have seen and telling me his new club or something. It's kind of hard to imagine, though. You're telling me this guy is in the pussy posse? And what is the pussy posse? I don't know if I give a fuck, really. But it's something to think about. Like, what the fuck are they talking about? I gave you the source earlier. I don't think I recorded that bit, though. I think that girl gave me a flower, but she just put it near me. I didn't want to look at her face, though, because I was like, this is going to be drama. Because her, her two boyfriends are, like, talking about guns and stuff. And I was like, even if she likes me, it's not going to be good for me. But I think she might have been innocent. Flower girls out. It's so funny. I definitely want to download this uh, airplane comedy compilation, the, all the good bits of airplane. I was referring to it a couple times. It was so funny when it was like Robert Stack's coming into the airport and the first guy's like, I just want to give you this flower. And then the next guy's like, save the children. And then the next guy's like, have you heard about Scientology? And then the next guy's like, Hare Krishna. And he just started beating them all up. Because <laughs> I'm like, it's so funny to me that like it's still exactly the same when you go into some public area that the same 
ideologies still have their salespeople coming to ostensibly offer you a fucking flower, but meanwhile... Are you going to San Francisco, where they wear flowers in their hair? Are you going to San Francisco? By the way, can you spare a dollar and buy some LSD for me, which is bunk? Are you going? To fraud Francisco, where the poop is all over the streets. Are you going to donate to my charity? Or else I will claim that you're a malignant, inverted narcissist. Here's a flower. I just wanted to give you this flower. No, my spine is, and I wouldn't say, what is it, beware of those bearing gifts? Do they say that anywhere? No, you don't need me to say that. They'll take all your money, if you never learned. But you'll give it to them, if you're silly, like I was. I still am, though. But I have no money. I have one penny. Oh, yeah, I forgot to say that. Like, I think it's, this recording has gone on for too long, but I went into McDonald's to buy my coffee with a dollar and nine cents, I thought it would be, for tax. I mean, if the coffee's a dollar, the tax wouldn't be at 10%, but it was. And so maybe it always was. Nine and a half of taxes at 10%, I would say that's a really kind of interesting point where, you know, I went to Oregon and it was seven cents, so I'd get a large coffee. At McDonald's in the summertime, and it'd be a dollar and seven cents. And come here, and it, I thought it used to be a dollar oh nine, but maybe it always was a dollar ten. I don't remember what it was in Florida, but I think it was a dollar ten as well. But yeah, that's like nine point five percent. And fucking greedy bastards in city, county, state governments who they want to go past ten, but you know, going past ten is like fucking you in the ass without your permission. And so they know it. It's like they could try to get away with it, but then people are probably going to start leaving. I heard that there was like some state where the tax is like 13% in, in America. Maybe it was like Wyoming. That doesn't sound right, though. I think there's probably another place where there's no tax. I wouldn't necessarily move to a place where there was no tax just so I only have to pay a dollar at McDonald's. But taxation without representation, even on the local levels, of course, is gross and odious. And, like, I mean, look at what's happening in Los Angeles. They've got rats in City Hall, literally. And according to Dr. Drew, they have bubonic plague, which maybe is true, maybe not. But I heard it came from him. I heard a reference to him saying that. It's not unimaginable. There's so many rats there. And, uh, and then 
the FBI is investigating the DWP, which I think is really interesting, even if who knows what's going on. Just that bureaucracy against bureaucracy, and allegedly there's a scandal in there about overbilling. But what does that mean for you or me? Um, I don't want to talk like super macroeconomics, but maybe I will. Oh, I'll do that on the next recording. The uh, I was going to say the chick. So I was digging in my pocket for that last penny, that dirty one, because I was talking about all my pennies, and I said I had a dollar and I had 109 cents and then one extra. And I didn't think I'd have to spend like that 110th cent that was kind of dirty. But she said it was a dollar ten instead of a dollar nine. And so I was like, oh, okay. Let me look for that penny, and I couldn't find it. And then this girl, she handed me one of those pennies from a penny dish. Gosh, she was cute. And I just was happy to be at McDonald's. So that was my morning. And, you know, it's just like, I think the little things in life. Like, I haven't spent money in a long-ass time. I, I've had that money for, like, a month or so. But I finally got to the point where I could actually buy something. And uh, I like being in commerce. Ooh, here's those berries. I also really like these berries. So I'm going to press, uh, I'm going to go to a new recording. Oh, getting black. These little mini, I call this, um, not belladonna, but the, uh, what is the plant? It's the uh, tomato family. I think it's just the tomato family. But wait, nicotine comes from it. I think belladonna. I think it's the belladonna's family. And I think tomatoes are part of that, but I forget how it goes. And this is like a... A different example where they're like these mini tomato-like plants, but they turn black. And I've been eating these berries for a couple years now, and they're really good. Oh, they're so good. Oh, they taste like mini tomatoes. Oh, they're so good. Oh, I love them. Like, I saw some down by where I camp, and I could see that they're just, they're coming out, and they're just starting to turn black. Because I've been looking around for them. I'm like, where are they? I guess they come out in August. Here's a strand of them, though. I'm going to eat every single one of them. I hope you got my joke about flowers in your hair. And, like, who offers a flower and what that might lead to. And I will download that uh, airplane when I get a chance. Because I don't want to steal their jokes. But, as I was watching that compilation, I'm going to go to the next recording. Um... I was just recording. As I was watching that compilation of Airplane, I was like, God, this is just classic humor. And I don't precisely know how to describe it, and I think I may have been influenced by some other comedian recently who said something like, I just go back, he said, I just go back and watch Airplane, and he's like, like that's my fa favorite source. He's, he said something like, I'm surprised by how... Uh, much that influences me. I'm going to have to urinate in this bush over here, I think. Wait. I have to pee really bad.
that's not going to happen. There's someone right behind the fence. Oh, well. Have to urinate. Ah, my back hurts. I'll be a good place to pass. I gotta pee, gotta pee. Gotta pee, nah, gotta pee. Yeah, anyone knows about the Trail of the Dead? You know what, I just realized there was this girl on the karaoke. Like one of my first fans on karaoke. And she died, I think. She died of cancer. And it was shortly after we became friends on the internet, she said she had to go in for like an operation. She had a tumor. And she never was back on the internet after that. And I guessed that she died. But this is the first time I thought that maybe they fucking poisoned her too. Sometimes it seems like whoever I sing to or whoever becomes my fan is like in danger. So, it's pretty incredible. You might want to be aware. And who's after me? It's basically what you'd call the Illuminati. But it's Gladio. MK Ultra mercenaries who are just trying to they're Luciferian polyamorists who revel in secret murder to try to distort someone's psychology and emotions to the breaking point. If that's who's if that's true. If anybody's out to get me, it's probably them. That's kind of a hard to categorize group of individuals who are elusive and secretive by nature and extremely dangerous in tandem, but when they crop out here and there, you might just recognize them as super intense individuals who might look like sex addicts and mercenaries and strange philosophers. Oh damn, I have to pee so bad. And there's two cans here which I could recycle, but I don't think I'm going to. Yeah, but um, I'm waiting for a report back from one of them. So I've met like two mercenaries. Now I've met a stewardess of mercenaries. And then recently I've got a new mercenary friend. So I like my new friend. And uh, I can't remember his name, but I might try to get people to fucking call him too. But I don't think that's really going to happen. I think I'll have to fucking meet him in person myself. I don't even remember that guy's name. But, uh, yeah, it's more like I gotta give shout-outs. Nah. That's not what I mean to say. It's more that I just have to estimate that more people like him might want to be at attention. After everything you've learned about who did what they did that then caused you to be recruited and your interests that led you to where you were, and then what happened to your comrades, not your comrades, but your, your buddies, your partners, your fellow soldiers, your fellow mercenaries, if all that's true, then why wouldn't you listen to me? I'm like the best chance you've got to fucking stay alive right now, bro. If that's you. And it might be eventually. I mean, because widow's sons will meet their end when true lieutenants pay a call. And after all, you may be on the phone, 
but your brains will be on the floor before you knew who not to ignore. You heard it here first. Watch out when he comes to visit. You think all your friends are committing suicide? Mm -mm. I think all your friends are being murdered. And it sounds like suicide when they call you. But how many apparitions and how many tricks will be used to facilitate outcomes? In magic, not that I'm like so good, but distraction occurs and then the sleight of hand occurs while the distraction is occurring elsewhere. And then the manipulation occurs somewhere where we're not going to be looking apparently. But then again, manipulation can occur in plain sight too, but we just might not understand what kind of camouflage is being used. I'll give you an example, but let me uh, cross the street. Although, I doubt you'd let me, for here I am. Currently not hindered by anything but my own obsession with reporting or teaching. Yeah, I kind of like what I talk about sometimes. I said I was going to talk about macroeconomics, but I'm going to tell you about a magic trick first. Or am I? I met a magician and he taught me a trick. They say that that doesn't happen very often, but this guy I knew pretty good. And he did the trick in front of me like two or three times, and I was like literally mystified. I was just like, what? I was so surprised. And a couple of my friends thought it was kind of cool too. But I think I was the one who was just like, how the fuck did you do that? How the fuck did you do that? And then he showed me. And it's a really easy trick. It's the false thumb trick. So he had a red handkerchief. And he's like waving it in my face. Or he's waving it. And then he stuffs it in his hand. And then poof, it disappears. And I'm like, where the fuck did it go? Like he did it over and over like three times. And I'm like, I can't believe this shit. Where the fuck did that thing go? And then he told me, because he has white skin and he's got this pink thumb, it looks like his skin color. I guess you'd have to get a different color if you're a black guy. And so the last, he's stuffing it, he's stuffing it into his hand, but he's really stuffing it into the fake thumb. And the last stuff he pushes with his thumb, and so he actually puts it on his thumb, and then poof, it looks like it's gone. So I guess it wasn't really distraction, like, that's like a different type of magic trick is distraction and some kind of sleight of hand elsewhere. But, um, I don't know if that'll help anybody. I mean, I'm not trying to teach you to be a magician. And I don't think a magic trick performer is like what a lot of people would call a magician anyway. But I think there's like a lot to learn about like fraud and deception and stuff from people who do magic tricks, and I was really talking about magic to remind myself, or it just came out really, that like I learned a lot about magic when I was 10 years old, magic tricks, and then I sort of applied that to my editing later, 
or I, th- I kind of contemplated, so what is distraction? And, you know, editing is like, it's a sort of a trick. Uh, I don't really want to talk too much more about that, though. I just thought I'd offer that as part of my curriculum vitae. Whatever the fuck that means. My CV. My list of skills. And then kind of to, like, maybe in the future, think more about then what is magic. And what is distraction? And what is the trick? And who are the magicians? And who are those who merely perform magic tricks or tricks and is deception righteous if it's done for fiction or for the performance of a trick that will mystify and amaze and amuse those who witness it or would that be essentially wrong is it sorcery especially if it's merely physical and it's done for A performance which can be seen as a gift or a service. For maybe that's why my mom might have stole my bag of tricks. After all, when I had my big old encyclopedia of knowledge... I mean music, I mean magic. I accidentally malformed them all. I truly think that there may have been a time in my youth where I said, I want to be a magician. Like when someone said, what do you want to do when you grow up? I want to be a magician. They're all a musician. And I'm like, yeah. And maybe that's why they put a guitar in my hands. He wants to be a magician. Musician. Because right around, now that I think about it, it's so true, like, I was really into magic until I was about 10, and then suddenly I'm into piano and guitar, and it's like, why did, why, why? I didn't make myself a magician, I mean a musician, my mom did. Now that I think about it, she's the one who made me who I am, of course, in so many ways, but also in this whole identity thing, that like somehow I became this, uh, Guy, oh, that looks great. I just got a good uh, festival in San Jose. I know I can go there for about seven bucks, but it only costs two dollars to go to Davenport. Last night I was almost thinking about, you know, saving all these dimes and pennies to get to Davenport and back. 
which I think is a fine thing to do, but I decided I wanted to have this coffee instead. And I might not ever get out of here, really, but... I, uh, I'm not in a huge rush to do the Davenport thing. And I can get four bucks, probably through recycling, without too much trouble. I'm not really ready to go anyway, so. It was nice to think for a moment, though, that I'd save all that change and then maybe just use it for Davenport. But, uh, I don't know. I'm still wondering, like... Maybe if I have a show here first, then I can make the money for the next show. Because that would be show business. Everything else would be other business. Now that I think about it, I think a lot about fake money and shoes and just the whole concept of hustling and sort of fake it till you make it. I mean, I don't want to say that I think that's all a lot of it is because I don't fully know, but at the same time, I like know enough that I'm just like, you know what now? You know what now? No, no. You know, no. You know what? No, no. Uh-oh. No. And you're a shoe salesman. What's I mean, I can't put down. Like what, I never sold shoes? Uh, no, never sold shoes. Although I did give away a pair of shoes one time that I'd authenticized. And my friend found value in wearing them. So look back to that time, it's like I've always been a model. I mean, that's a skill right there. I'll make my fucking blue jeans into something that is worth a thousand dollars. Because I'll make them authentic and someone will pay for them. Because they got holes in them. Or, same thing with my shoes. But the guy didn't pay me anything. But, you know, it was like a trade. And that's true. So, no, I never sold a pair of shoes. But I'd never say, oh, I'm looking down on you because you're a shoe salesman. Shoe salesman. Shoe salesman. He rapped all about it as John Doe. Shoe salesman. In fact, I just saw the flyer right there that said conscious. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's just like unconscious. Because John Doe became unconscious. And... Leo Cohen is a shoe salesman at Adidas. Adidas. He's a shoe salesman. Like Al Bundy, but I'm talking about Kanye West. Kanye Easy. I seem to learn more about that guy everywhere I go. Because he's everywhere. In the uh, paper trades. He doesn't really hit the top of my algos. Probably because he's not a Jew. And Adidas, pretty sure they're German. But Leo Cohen works for them too, so. But he's like, as far as I'm concerned, Israeli. Oh, yeah, I found out something about that guy. 
They had like a off-record version of this interview for particular. Probably be worth listening to, I'm sure. It might have talked about the people he's going to fucking kill. I mean, I've fucking seen that guy for a long time, and I'm like, you know, he said he's unemployable as the impresario. Why is he unemployable? I mean, I'm not saying it's because he has a felony record, but also, when they attack their opponents and they try to increase their own margins, to which lengths will they go? And is it all about shoe sales? But, you know, I sometimes theorize about these guys. This other guy, I don't want to say I caught him in a lie, but there was this record label called uh, Royal Grand. Was it called Royal Grand? It was like a spin-off of some Beastie Boys thing, I think. Yeah, I think it was. Was it Money Mark? I could look that up again. So this guy said he worked there. And, like, I was talking to him one time. And we had already had, like, this contest where I'd accidentally offended him. And uh, I don't think I meant to do it on purpose. I think I was teasing him, but I don't think I meant to make him, like, get really outraged. He even threatened some violence. Or he alluded to the possibility that violence could occur upon the rhetoric I used. So, yeah, I mean, I, when I negotiate in person, like, I'm pretty, like conscious of some things that can fucking piss people off for sure but on the fucking podcast I say almost anything because like I'm negotiating in cyberspace and you can't smash a bottle into the back of my head but ask that guy you know did he really know Lear Cohen because I brought that guy up one time and he's like oh yeah yeah I used to see that guy he was standing around in the back and I was like okay but was he telling me the truth I mean it seems like it doesn't really matter like Lear Cohen is just this guy like do I want to make a big deal about him? But I was just talking about selling shoes. I wasn't talking about music. And who was talking about the music business? And who was talking about the show business? And who was talking about music? And who was talking about prop money? Who was talking about Buddhism? Who was talking about gold? Who came from the goldsmith? Who came from the silversmith? Who changed their name? Hustling is your game. I mean, I'm not trying to rhyme, but maybe it's about time for a new Conscious album. I'll get my man Conscious on the joint. Yeah. This is Conscious on the mic. I mean, unconscious. Let's see if I can get him. We'll see where he's at. I don't know. I'm okay. I just... There's some, you know literal Israeli spies who have cornered some market, sort of, and dominated the PCH, from what I heard. And I've got an acquaintance who can fucking maybe make a couple calls, shut down the fucking Pacific Coast Highway. Maybe you won't be fucking, you know, what do you call it? Riding that whip, your electric whip, without my permission? Just kidding. But hey, how many degrees does it take? One, two? Two phone calls to shut it down and bring in why? Who? Bibi? Netanyahu? Drop him down there and have him do my game? Huh. I mean, it only takes two phone calls. Do you think that he would listen to me? And I'm like, uh, hey, Bibi, this is me. Um, I would say you came to my beach. You came to my coast, and uh, or they brought you there, and I want to know why. But I guess, did you close it down, or who closed it down? So can we call Daddy? 
This is my latest movie. Can we call Daddy and rent that helicopter? Where was it? Warner Brothers? Or is it AT&T now? We'd say, oh, uh, yeah, we want to shut this down. Because we really need a fucking airplane to fucking fly this shit in our fucking movie. Poof. It's not uh, full-spectrum dominance. It's just absolute command and control of consciousness and or geographic locale and temporary airspace that would perturb some neighbors. By the way, I'm totally fictionalizing this. I can't make this call. No, but I can. I just got to find this one contact. Call the one guy. He's an Israeli spy. Call the next guy. He's prime minister of Israel or currently. In the contest against who is going to be the manager of Greater Israel between two members of Syriat Matkal, I guess my question is, not only will my boyfriend direct 911, but shall we shut down the PCH? And how hard would that be to do? And who takes orders from whom? If I was Q, who would be R and who would be S? And who would be T? And who would U, V, B? Who would you be? Who would you be? And would I really need to shut down the PCH to show a helicopter on TV? No, I don't think so. But who shot the uh, footage for, what's her name, Elizabeth Woolridge Grant? And like she's like in this billowy living room with all this cotton. Oh, it's a vacancy. Oh, yeah, she's, uh, someone's representing vacancies. And she looked like she put on a few pounds. And it was like, I thought the Streisand effect, because you got this helicopter footage. I don't think it was superimposed. It might have been. And that was album, what, three? Post Emil Heine? Well, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of his music, and I'm a fan of her, sort of, but I want to call her Elizabeth, if not Lizzie, Miss Woolridge, and maybe even by my last name. But what is my last name? And why would I use my last name anymore? For it's not my name. Who am I? I've been thinking, like, which name I might use as my surname, which would be most authentic, and I found myself thinking of one name which is not even necessarily the name I'd use. For who am I? And what is my name? It's not just like a Rumpelstiltskin trick. It's literally the name that was designated as the last name for this individual is just like sort of not true. So I might not even use that name because it's not actually who I am anymore. By the way, that's one of the reasons I'm having difficulty complying with Facebook and Instaburg. Instaberg. It's like, because I can't fucking put that name in there. It's a lie. That's not who I am. That's the name of my father's adoptive mother. Actually, father's adoptive father. And he has passed away. He was maybe a good man. I don't know much about him, really. And his name was his name. But that's not my name. That's not me. So name is just something that, you know, maybe is ascribed to those who are adopted and then transferred to their offspring at times, but why would that be considered the true name? And why would something else not be considered true? Who are you to say what is true? And why would someone force me to comply with some slave name that's on some certificate that is not who I am? What is truth? Not that I'm in righteous indignation right now, but I merely present to you that that name might not be who I am anymore. And if I were to input it and say that that was my true name, that would be a lie. And that's obvious to me. But that's not necessarily the main reason I don't want to use, whatchamacallit, fiction, fake, 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 face, fuck. 
Instaberg scam. Insta scam, but I mean, it is like a precedent for like understanding why anonymity is not always about malevolence or fraud. Maybe I don't even know what my name is right now. Yeah, I have three names, and those names I think were essential, but they almost don't seem like who I am anymore. And it seems like rarely am I even called by these names. And if anything, I have a nickname based upon my first name. But, uh, you know, it may or may not be true. Hey, kid. Just a cute kid in a dress. She's like looking at me. So where then could I be where a name is not actually necessary? Or a name is known only to those who know me? And where could I be where I could manifest and speak without forcing myself to use a name? Which is a liability and not even necessarily something I need. And something that might not even be true or legal. For what is legal when everything is a fraud? And what is legal about a system that's absolutely bankrupt and murderous? For nothing is legal anymore. Everything is out of business. All that's left is some tyranny. And I might as well just leave it spelled as that. It's almost like an inglorious, traitorous tyranny. Bastard. Spell it how the fuck you will, fuck. Yeah, I'll reinvent history too. How do you like that? Q. Look how fat you are. I'll eat a hot dog with you. At the hot dog stand. Or we'll microwave a fucking cheddar pretzel. Maybe even one with Jack. Jack? Shack? And I'll watch all of them die. And I call them by their names and then they don't even want to shake my hand. Because those names aren't even their names. Everyone's been on stage. And even he was a Jew, I think. He was a strong Jew. He's a dead Jew. Jew. I'll get back to you. No, I'll do you later. Well, I'll get back to you when I want to do you. Jew. And am I a Jew? Who did you are you? Lollapalooza Jew. I like that. We've got ourselves in quite the Lollapalooza Jew. Mary Lo Curly Moo. Who's on first and Judy Jew? Roger, Roger. There. Over. Rover. It's all there in the comedy of the airplane, but also Perrette's and the gold and silver. I've already done the research, and uh, I'd invite this guy to be in the show. I mean, he kind of looks like he'd probably want to outwit me and sell some things I don't want to sell, but he's also a fine representative of an age-old concept, like not just that the show must go on, but that the impresario, I might not agree, is the unemployable, but there's some truth to that. But I think that show, I don't really want to conclude on this topic. I merely wanted to involve some mystics into the essential question then. Why was Mike Diamond Mike Diamond? And who was your dad and what did he sell? And what were you really selling there? Yeah, I mean, there's business and then there's business. But see, I don't want to say it like I know everything because then I'd be acting like I was lucky again. And lucky strikes again, but Rocky. Rocky. I don't know what Rocky had. So there was Rocky and there was Lucky. And whenever I felt like I started adopting these nicknames for the street, I I told myself recently, I'm like, if I ever start doing that again, I'm probably in big trouble. And then I think I was on the internet and I got to be lucky again, didn't I? 
where was I? I think I was making some show or movie or some spoof, and I was like, I'm lucky again. Why the fuck was I lucky, though? Lucky strikes again. I don't remember. I think I was doing one of my videos. Oh, yeah, I was doing acting. Probably. Because that's what I've been doing recently. I was doing acting lessons. By the way, I want to celebrate and uh, promo this one name of this academy. i got two academies that are doing acting lessons. They're kind of like dichotomous. But it's kind of like two faces of a Janus. And uh, one means one thing and one means another. One's like Rocky and one's like... Nah, one's like Lucky. can't remember who's who. But that's kind of the thing. It's like you're acting like this, you're acting like that. I'm acting like this, you're acting like that. I'm acting like that, you're acting like this. And it's just... It's meant for that. You know, and the Janus face kind of is an enduring symbol for, I think, drama and stage. Perhaps for a reason, I mean... It summarizes what it is, so essentially, tragedy and comedy. But then that can be used as a metaphor to describe other options as well. I don't want to say ultimately that it is all show business, but I have said that the you know the limits of our universe here is like it's all a show. Because when I saw the moon in front of the sun, I was like, that's the greatest show on earth, or from earth actually. It's not on earth; it's up in the sky. But that, I think, is a great show. Another, you know, final statement I've had is, it's all showa business, but that's to distinguish you from me. You from me. You from me? You. Infamy. You from me. You from euphemism. You from ism? Infamy. You I didn't watch that other show that was on TV. Or on the phone or where it would be because I start to rhyme and then I say because the drugs are sold and told you to die. And it seems like I rhyme really out of time when I start rhyming in this like, what do you call it, kind of iambic pentameter and or sitch where the rhymes don't really fit but I make them through stitch. So I make a rhyme at the end of the line but it doesn't really rhyme so it's not that fine or the rhythm is kind of out of time but somehow I rhyme and I'm on coffee again hi so I could rhyme like unconscious who's gonna be like the extension of the conscious character who we see used to be John Doe and John Doe was my name did I ever lose John Doe what is my game Oh, and that reminds me, besides I didn't want to get like this, like super caffeinated and ready to list all of the freaking crimes that I've seen and declaring them in some hip-hop game. I really don't like rough drafts that are not actually the production and whoever you are. I am the guy who likes to rap, but I realized this morning, by the way, I'm caffeinated. Fap. Sorry, I didn't have anything to rhyme with that. But actually, that takes me back to this thing that I really wanted to say before I start rhyming, and I ram all day. Because, like, John Doe, I mean, I'm not even kidding. If you knew me, I was. Maybe you were, too, and if so, what's up, cuz? 5150, maybe in Cali. But where is it elsewhere? What's the number? Who will be? It's DWI out there, I heard. 
DUI here. What is your preferred moniker or code for insane? Suicidal tendencies, F-I-V-E-5150. I've seen it tattooed on the neck, 5102. Also, that, what the heck, which is the one that seems worse to you, and why would you tattoo these numbers upon you-know-who? Some people would do it. Some people might take pride. I've seen them all, but who hasn't died? Because once you start tattooing the symbols of the code, I hope you have a strong ego for else the commode might hold the last material that you produced out your ass and someday you'll be dead and they'll say that you passed. Whatever might be left might be the product. What have you produced? Is it ephemeral? Digital? Does it run the gamut? Yeah, Mike D, I think that's your name. Whatever the fuck your name is. I think I say, I saw you in person. Was that you or him? The one who's a skinny-ass, depleted vegan. The other guy died, I think, and the other guy's whipped by the chick who uses that feminist, narcissist trick. She's got Lyme disease, and so do all her friends, except for the one who videoed you again and exposed that all the lesbians who can't write a check have Lyme disease limp-wristed. Oh, what a trick. God damn, I can't believe how cucked that guy was, and I gave you that lesson for free. I'm above. In your mind, in your consciousness, how did I know? Well, you guys were on the TV show. Who painted the swastika in your local synagogue? You guys, dumb fucks. I saw you. Aha. But you know what? Um, Jews, I saw you paint that shit. I saw you paint that shit. In my mind's eye, it's a movie theater. I was really going to say... Uh, I saw through you and I saw back again show of business, but I didn't want to start rhyming. So what I wanted to say, though, because this is about my sobriety and maybe I'm not sober right now because I'm rhyming, is uh, not rhyming too well. And, you know, this is just a draft, maybe until I put it into your daft, President Taft. <laughs> my name is Curtis and I am 50 cents, and I'll cite presidents in the old days, dead again, dead presidents in my pocket, the ones you ain't got, I got William Taft on a picture, and where's my raft, I'm going to go across the river, and then I'm going to come back, and then by the time I come back, Benjamin, where it's at, if you ain't got that bill in my hand, then the fuck, I guess I got Taft, so fuck you, Uncle Sam, I'll put Taft on a crypto, and I'll put him away, a dank meme shall elevate and mesmerize me because my new cash is like so cash represents. Who the fuck represents cash? Presents. Wow, I forgot who I was back in the day when I went into the jail and I carved it. It says CA dollar sign S cash because I was mumbling my name so much. Muddled mouth I sort of invented a name, and then it sounded sufficiently silly to be Cashberg, Bitcoinberg, Ralph I was, at different times I was from above 
nah, I don't want to rhyme like this. No, I really want to get to this important point before I present to you anything else I told you at all. I already told you. Show a business, Barrett's, Diamond. I've seen you guys. So, yeah, I might bring you guys in. Are you guys in for that? Like, I went to Rubenstein's house where Bob Dylan was. I knocked on the door and I saw a silly Kez, mini Ruben, and nose ring he was. I said I was the best musician. No, I didn't. I said I was the coolest musician in the world. But then they got Bieber. Check the books. Remember that guy who came out? Who's a crook? I don't want to rhyme like that, so I won't, but Buddhist, I've been where you don't go. You're going to sit on the couch and produce a record with hands behind your head? Yeah. Nice record. Who was that guy who bestank who it was? Some, some 41 or some other junk who said he's the worst producer. Somebody lost some money. Probably paid for it, but someone told the truth. So, yeah, their rule, Ja Rule, ain't absolute. I don't have anything against Ja Rule, but Ja, who the Ja? You guys are sitting there and you don't do what you don't. And then you call it producing? It's like, how fun. Well, I thought I'd walk in, but you didn't let me in, so... Uh-huh. Nose ring didn't like the look of me. Is he fired? Yeah, the coolest musician that walked by ever was not hired. And I did not sire. Sire me my cow? Sire it my cow? Sire it my cow. BB Netanyahu. Arnon Milshan. PCH. In your fake Malibu. Nah, I'm just like incoherent right now. So the thing was, is I looked back and I was like, wait a minute, am I an alcoholic? Like, did I admit it to my innermost self? And I remember back in jail, I was like, it doesn't matter. Because either way, I keep ending up here. And so I sometimes think that I didn't actually do it right. I've been lying all along. I've been an actor this whole time. Every time I say I'm an alcoholic, because if I really went back, I'm like, it doesn't matter told myself, I'm just going to say it, because I'm fucking sick of fucking winding up in jail. But then I had this whole thought this morning of like, oh my god, that means that I never really thought I was an alcoholic, and I was only subtracting consciousness because I couldn't take it, PTSD, etc. And so I was just washing my brain away with some kind of substance, or trying to get high, and then being addicted to substances because I had no reason to stop, until I did. And since then I've been managing which is what they say you can't do, or that it never works, unless you know who has got you. God. God is the joke. And if these malevolent crypto-saturnalians have published what I won't, they'll tell you that your will won't keep you sane. And if I only have their ideology in my brain, well, I might actually believe them, and I might actually die. I might actually wind up in prison. Oh, my. So whether it be my will or its, I could give a fuck right now. Next. So, yeah, 10% to next social media. And I'm telling you, like, I mean, it's a revelation to me that I just realized that again. And it might be a problem, but... Man, if I'm managing... My sobriety, I'm doing pretty good. And if I'm not, then have I even understood what is divine and who is omniscient, omnipotent? No. I only know who's been running the show.
And maybe it's time for a new impresario. And if it's not, then how do you do? You're back again? Well, what have you got to sell? Would you like to be there? What the hell? Because I'll be talking like walking if I got nothing else to do. If I'm trying to sell Pulp Fiction to you. Or if I'm trying to sell heroin, once again. Well, have you seen my latest fiction? Everyone shoots up in every single scene. Just like they smoke cigarettes. What does it mean? Is Marb or is South Carolina trying to subsidize these movies and the state contracts? Who are those guys? An offset and grants and what would it be? Elizabeth Woolridge? Is it going to be you or me, baby? Because I'm Lana Del Taco and I'm fucking free. I was Patsy Rose and I'm... Indifferently, gonna say welcome back to the jungle part two slash Saul Hudson, Stephen Adler, and you. I'd like to have Flea play football with me. I'll get you two RHCP. I'll bring you all into my show. I get 10, 10 points off the dime times 10. Whoops, I almost died. Yeah, they think that I'll take 10. They're like, yeah, uh, <coughs> Blackie is in town. Is Blackie still around? Did he steal it all? Did he sell it from the ground? No, I'm just saying I heard about Blackie and who he was and how he sold the furniture. What's up, cuz? This guy's old, man. Every once in a while he wears a stash. He's hanging out in Maui. And, uh... What's up with your stash? What is that, a homonym? Rhyming homonyms doesn't seem like a popular vibe. When you're like, I'm rhyming stash with stash. Is this guy in disguise? <laughs> you know what's really funny sometimes? Is when I think about DEA and those guys all the time. And, like, if they've been stalking me this entire time and they're like, wait, he's the most masks, I might just well leave it as that. If he's the mass of Hassan, Vim, Vim of Hassan? If he's PSBMM and he's Abgam and he's clear, which kind of drugs is he selling, my dear? And which kind of cryptocurrency rails and which kind of microphones in judges' quarters who prevails? DEA over you, DEA Secret Service, I heard about this, are you, what rhymes with service? I just want to expand upon that, this guy called me something else, and he said that they do that contracting, and what else? They put microphones in the judges' chambers, and the knowledge that came to them, what kind of favors will be put against you who has been caught by MICE, judges, prosecutors, and DEA? Ethan Hawke played like a DEA who went against the competitor of the foundation's business. Oh yeah, GP Morgan. 
their big old Coke boat. One billion dollars worth of the Coke, of the joke. Hey, doggies. No, I mean, I'm not saying I'm a drug dealer, but if I was, think about it. They could be spinning all kinds of contracts against me. And I would just be talking infinitely about different ways and different plays to play. And Blackie would be like, oh, this guy must be gay. And I'm like, yeah, that's what he said when I gave him the reach around. And I asked for a donation. And then I looked on the ground, and there it was. And I looked at the mud, because after all, sperm plus dirt. What a dud. And then the spilled seed that would never grow was not referred to as seed again because who do you know? It's just one of those things I'm not trying to deal. I'm just saying that if I could would I? And who would prevail? Well, why deal when you don't have to? But I was just reading about the Doobie Brothers. And I don't have to. I don't have to what? Yeah, I'm high and mighty. And when I wear white spandex, they're called tidy whities But yeah, from Maui to here to Peru to there. Oh yeah, by the way, they came out of Afghanistan. Oh dear. Blacky and wacky and tracky and tracks. All up and down the veins. Where's the track? Mac? Where's the route? Scout? Where's the realm? Helm? And then where's the helm? And who is the mast? Er. Who makes the mast? Er. D. Bast. How do you rhyme master with bast? Erd. Who is the master? What does it say right there, NFC? F. A. C. T. S. Who copyrighted this? Who's the bastard? Master? Who's the master? The master of tricks. The master of ceremonies. Who is sick? Well, I couldn't drop your names again or I could read your bios. I've done it so many times. Oh me, oh my. I hope that I've conveyed that I know who you are. And the kind of things you deal and the stories, what's real. I'm literally not even against any kind of guys. But I'm saying what I prefer and what is my size? XL. What are you, XXL? X? t-shirt and deodorant and a towel. Too bad I'm not showering. 
Here's a Buddha. Oh hell. Festivate, rinse, repeat. This guy's all about it. I jump in the back of his thing and still feel like I was gonna die. What's his book say? Something about something? Should I look a little more closely and see what he's reading? What does it say? What does it say? I can't see. I'm almost like super curious. But it says curiously. Extended massive orgasm. <laughs> oh my god, that couldn't have been funnier. I look in this Westphalia and sure sure I find her. Sexploitation MDMA. Extended massive orgasm. How to. How gay. Gay in a diminishing way that's not really gendered. Or selective about who I have hindered. With my majestic smackdown without smack. Who have I offended with my verbal attack? Where's the M.A. and and the kettle puddle? And the clear and the brown and the black and the devil? Well, as I said earlier, it'd be out in the lot, the parking lot, because I can't say where I'm not going to be, but I won't be there too much, trying to figure out who's dealing what. I'm already in the jungle, metaphorically. Dumpster fire. Debacle. But I remember a long time ago, when I was in the cosmos, before there was Somsoc in Palo Alto, no, not where you think you've been, but where I was, in Echo Park, Palo Alto. I used to have an address. She keeps trying to swipe up with her hands, but she's got casts. I need cast and crew. Cast and crew pretty fast. No, I really don't like rhyming, but as I said, I think I assessed that maybe I'm not an alcoholic, but I have said so because I had been arrested. And, like, I don't want to go back to jail, and I never did, really. Maybe I thought it was kind of, I don't know. I used to think of it kind of like a rehab, but briefly. And not for times that were not of my choosing. I mean, otherwise, I'm not choosing my rooming. Well, I think I've said enough. Automatic sliding door, and it says Stanley Kubrick faked the moon landing. Oh, whore. Oh, and another guy who died because of Lookout Studios. I think it was deep down below the mountain. Lido. Yeah, down in your rooms where you guys got to f shoot. I had a friend and he went kaput. He's dead too. Mockingbird Studios. MK Ultra. Sometimes they're in the news. I've been stalked by Pro MK. And I got MK again, so. Hella LA. Pasadena down into the mountain where it was. Kubrick 2020, 2021, can't remember who was, the master of moon landings and the psyops back then, I had some ideas and shared them, and again, that guy's dead too, like I said before, and you will know us by the trail of the dead, how can I ignore all those people that I sang to, it was like the calling song of Chuck Puchichenik or whatever, I read that book, someone who told me to read it. Was it her? 
dating the polyamorous devotee of Lucifer. But she is the mercenary, and which gang did she work for? Well, I estimated, and I cannot ignore. But different gangs of mercenaries, and which ones align ethnically, and which ones for money, who will be mine? I mean, I once had a guy right around here, he said, they don't work for paper money anymore. But they work for crypto? No, maybe they do. Monero, whatever. It doesn't matter to you, does it? If you'd like to contact me, go to the financial section and fucking find me. Pay me.